Hi, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Need to hydrate but tired of plain old water? You need rebellious infusions. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. 10 organic flavors and convenient liquid packets. Just add 16 ounces and you are on your way. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Such a misunderstood situation. And then as it gets blown out, and I really appreciate it, actually, the way Derek addressed it. It's pretty easy to throw dirt on Chad Curtis's grave these days. And I, I didn't feel like Derek took that opportunity in his show. And I've, I've had so many chances to replay kind of a lot of different things. But that one in particular, first of all, there's a reason Derek Jeter has a handful of rings. Yeah. <laughs> number one, he was a great player. Derek made everybody around him a better player. I think the greatest example of that is David Wells. Mm -hmm. David Wells had stuff that was crazy stuff. I oh, hated yeah. facing David Wells. That He could get that four-seamer in on your hands and just keep it there where most lefties couldn't keep it there. It leaked a little bit, and you'd get them. And then, so now you add Derek being the one that came to him every once in a while. I, I give Derek so much credit looking back. I'm sure that he knew the little things to say to Boomer to get to keep Boomer focused on the mound. Yeah. Okay. So here I am and I'm in this situation. I'm starting to learn to just like this guy is a Yankee legend to be. So he's third, fourth year in the league or whatever it is. He is on track to be Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Yogi Berra. You got a chance to be in that. And he is. So, that, yeah. And it, it played out that way. Sure. So then you're in Seattle and you're in a little bra a brawl and you, uh, and again, this is a little bit me and this is part of the bad personnel. I get so fired up in, in situations like that. I lose my brain. I lose my mind. So to football, me, it kind of takes over, right? It's we're, we're all in right now to my, my buddy, Joe Girardi just got punched in the face and yeah. this isn't, it's not playtime. It's not game time. Well, here we are. We're in this middle of a transition from baseball, the traditional sport, to baseball, the entertainment venue. And I think that Derek was on the leading edge of helping baseball become something that the general public would watch instead of just the diehard baseball enthusiast. For sure. So he's in, and it wasn't that he, I don't even know if it was conscious or not, but him and Alex had a relationship. So when things had settled down, it was like, okay, time for us to just shadow box a little bit. And here I am in the middle of all out war mode. And, and actually, if you watch that clip, you'll see, you'll see me standing beside Don Zimmer. No greater Derek Jeter supporter fan in the world than Don Zimmer. You look at Don Zimmer's face and he was aghast, just like mouth open. And he was like, what's going on? That's my guy. That's Derek Jeter. That's the next Joe DiMaggio. And he's out there doing something that's contrary to old school baseball mentality. But remember, we're in this transition from that old school stuff to do something that ultimately is probably a better thing. Yeah. So I didn't see it that way. Don didn't see it that way. So I ended up saying something could have handled it a lot better. But and again, I, I would like to say, and I hope that this is accurate. It was as much as me saying, Derek, we need you to be 
the guy that we all know you are, not that. So, and I, I also want to just look at that and say that's a, such a small thing in the grand scheme of everything that he added to those Yankee teams. But when Chad Curtis and Derek Jeter come up, that's the thing that comes up. Mm-hmm. Well, here's my first opportunity a little bit more publicly to say, I think Derek Jeter is one of the most underrated baseball players of all time, even though he's very highly rated. Yeah. He added tremendous value. In modern day sports, when you can go on a run like that and win championships like that, that's incredible. Yeah. It's also one of the things that is unique. And I I don't think Derek apologizes. Like he never apologizes for his numbers. Like your numbers aren't as good as this thing. He's like, that's not my measure. No, I'm measuring wins, man. Like I'm I'm about a team that gets better. And I, I think you were in Detroit not long after me. I left there in 94 during the strike. And I had Boomer, right? David Wells. And David was our, I think maybe Belcher was number one and he was number two. Young, pretty young guy at the time. And David was exactly that guy. I mean, just electric stuff some nights. But if he wasn't focused, like, watch out. Like, this this is going to take more. And so he didn't have the luxury of everybody else's background that got all the opportunities for all the great coaching and coaches to really drill him down and help him get through those times when you're not a disciplined teenager. And he didn't have that luxury. He had a gift of playing a very smart athlete. And listen, that attention, like, man, I I tell you, when, when people ask me about some of these athletes who maybe didn't ultimately, like you say, reach their full potential, right? And and we want to talk about that a little bit too, is man, I don't know who I would have been at 21 years old if someone would have handed me $10 million and a four-year contract, right? Like, I don't know. At the end of those four years, I might have been just like, oh my gosh, thank goodness he's done. And we can move him on to somebody else's double-A roster because he has no business being here. The self, I don't know if it's pride, but certainly the self-reliance and perseverance to continue to get better and compete at that level. When when a lot of issues in your life just got resolved because money can do that for you, right? And it's a challenging situation, especially for for young athletes who've never seen anything like that kind of money and wealth and opportunity that brings both good and bad. Is that fair? Yeah, no doubt. I think that, that whole scenario gets handled better today than it did 20, 30 years ago. I think 20, 30 years ago, there are a lot of guys that got derailed by some of that early success and money that came along. I think that now, and I give some credit to agents and different people who have realized, and and maybe it's selfish motive. If I can keep this guy good for 20 years, he he keeps producing in, in my lineup of players. Whereas if he burns out because of whatever, then it's not good for me or him. So I think that they've started to really surround some of that great talent with some good counseling and, and good direction. And so that, that's a really positive thing. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about one of the tough questions, man, like that, that I see as we talk about that quote, right? You know, I'd like to ask you about that. Like winners, when shown data that they're losing, find a way to win. When was the time that, I mean, you've had a number of them, but what, what's a good example of a time you were just up against it? losing all the criteria says this is not going the right direction down, but not out found a way to kind of turn that around. Uh, and what'd you do about it? I'm going to give you two examples. And one, one is almost frivolous and it's from baseball. 
and the other one's a little more deep. The frivolous one from baseball was actually when I was with the the Indians, and I was really struggling. Teams were throwing me fastballs just a little above my hands, and I would just keep swinging at it. And I continued to not produce because I would continually swing at this pitch, and they just kept throwing it, throwing it, throwing it, throwing it. So one day, Charlie Manuel, who, like only Charlie Manuel could say, said, kid, if you're going to swing at the high fastball, leave your hands up there. And I was like, what did Charlie just say? Leave your hands up there. So he was saying I was kind of dropping my hands and then trying to raise them back up to hit the ball. Well, that yeah. little, that's that little tiny little bit there. So what I was doing wasn't working. And I finally was given this little piece of something that I say, hey, make this adjustment. So I, I kept my hands a little higher and I kept getting those same pitches and I started smoking them. Matter of fact, that year I ended up getting traded to the Yankees and Eric Plunk threw me a high fastball. So I'm playing the team that traded me. He threw me a high fastball. I think it was the bottom of the eighth inning. I hit home run to take the lead in the game. And I was like, Charlie, Charlie. I, so, so that was a little thing where you're realizing what you're currently doing is not working. You better make an adjustment. Yeah. A little bit trivial. Yep. Yeah, I love that. I love that Charlie Manuel reference. By the way, you got to have a little more Southern drawl on Charlie, man. He was South, boy. I love Charlie Manuel. And it's it's so true. And, and you look at, I can remember the way you were hitting. You were hands at your shoulders, even below sometimes as you were loading in. And just to get those hands up two, three inches where you get that starting point, like, hey, I can come right straight through that top of that strike zone now from that position. And I can't get up high enough in time. To catch it. And I, and I get kids all the time. The kids who just youth baseball, they just drop to their hip right now. Right? I'm like, oh my gosh, you're never going to hit anything above your waist. Right. And I'm, I'm reminded of Ripken, right? Who Cal was the epitome of changing his pre stance. But if you look at Cal Ripken's video of all his hitting over all the years, no matter what he stood like in the beginning, his prep position right before the pitch was always in the exact same place. Right. Like he'd always in some way find his hands. Right back to here, where his starting position at the at the at the beginning of pitch was the same. So it really didn't matter how he started and that he got there. So great to you think about these little things. I, I tell a lot of people, Chad, that very little feedback has sometimes massive impact. And people do not recognize that. We do this little drill when we when we talk about in, in when I do some speeches and things about coaching. And man, I can do this little coaching exercise and I give them like three little tips and everyone improves on this drill 100% in like one minute, right? And I ask the people, hey, are you giving these little information? I I don't need to show Chad Curtis how to hold a bat. I don't don't need to show Chad Curtis how to get ready to hit, where his eyes should be. I don't need to teach somebody on my team how to make a circle, but something very specific to help them in their role on this team and in this organization Okay, a little technical error there for a second, my bet. Talk to me about the second challenge you face in your life. Yeah, we haven't really touched on it yet, but I played 10 years in the big leagues, and that, that was like this huge, significant chunk of time and kind of out-of-the-ordinary experience. And, and I also spent seven years in prison, and that's another significant chunk of time and a little bit out-of-the-ordinary experience. Kind of talk about that in my book a little bit, but I was probably three and a half years into that seven years, and and I had I was spending so much of my time and energy trying to figure out maybe how to get out on appeal or try to figure out how to be that a judge did something that they weren't supposed to do, or I was spending so much time and trying to 
figure out how to not deal with the things that I'm responsible for. And it just wasn't working. It wasn't working mentally. It wasn't working emotionally. It wasn't working legally. And it was just really kind of making you're, you're in prison, which I mean, I think most people could imagine has some level of miserable to it, but it was making even that experience worse. So I just realized it wasn't working. And I, I, I just made a little shift right there. I said, I'm going to just start dealing with just dealing with me, dealing with the things that the poor choices that I've made and and the consequences of them and, and try to start to figure out if I made poor choices, what led to them? How can I make sure I don't do that again? How can I make some amends for the things that I've already done? How can I be positive for my own kids moving forward? And all of that boiled down to taking more responsibility for, for why I was there instead of trying to figure out how to get out. Let's talk. That's great. Let's talk about, talk about a little bit. You and I had a conversation off camera before people fall, people err, and we're called as Christians to forgive and we can ask and and not everyone will, right? People of this world are going to look at you in a different light and it's not always going to be great. Certainly one of the most strongest characters of all the Bible is, is David. When we know David as, yeah, he slayed Goliath, man. And then he became the king and he was so good to Saul when he was the king, even though Saul threatened his life. And then he's this the modern day hero. He, he is what everyone wanted to be in their lives. And then one day, you know, hey, I think I might just sleep with my buddy's wife. Like, and then have him killed on the front lines. Like, wait, what? Like, this is David. Like, what are you thinking, man? Like, like and the whole thing is like, gone awry. Talk to me a little bit about you erred. You erred in the past and, and we all have. What What's your expectation from people of how they see you today? First and foremost, I want to I wanna just say eh, probably people that will end up watching this will have some level of negative response, negative feeling towards me or even me being in public. And first and foremost, I have to recognize that I gave them the opportunity to feel that way. And, and since I've been out of prison, I've been super pleasantly surprised by some different places where I find grace and some people who show it. And I've also been a little discouraged and disappointed by some peoples and group that choose not to show grace. David is a great example. And, and I actually use that in my book as well. David was a man declared to be a man after God's own heart. So even the biblical story where Saul or Samuel's going to pick out the next king and parades by all these big brothers that look kingly yeah. and here comes this little shepherd boy that they didn't even think to bring into the house. And, and God says, that's the guy. And why is that the guy? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So then the New Testament, we're told that David was picked to be king because he was a man after God's own heart. Great. Then you got Goliath and you've got all the things you talked about. So and, and what I liken it to in my book is, is like one day David's out on his belt. He was supposed to be out at war with his his men, but because he looked at it as an easy battle, he had gotten to a place of comfort in his life. He was in the wrong place. And while he was in the wrong place, he puts his eye on the wrong thing. And when he has his eye on the wrong thing, he makes the wrong choice. And then he just keeps doubling down until he's, it ends up a murder. I've shared with people that had David committed those acts in the state of Michigan right now, David would be incarcerated for life. He would have a life sentence for yep. his for his crimes. But then after that, David goes through a period of repentance and God uses him again. And we have some Psalms that are written after that. We have Psalms 51, creating me a new heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. 
So David has this recognition, man, I've messed up. I've made some really horrible, poor choices, but I'm still in a position to be used by God. Now that that requires required a humble David. It required a repentant David and it required a faithful David. He had to walk faithfully forward and try to, and it also, he also had to deal with some of the chaos of his poor choices. Very similar. I really believe that for a good portion of my major league baseball career, I tried to use my position as a baseball player to be an ambassador, a representative of my faith. And even when you and I were together, I was in the weight weight room one day working out afterwards. I was just hammering through my workout, trying to get done as fast as I could. Go hang out with my wife and kids and go do something. One of those days where you get out a little early. And one of the interns, whose name was Chad, came up to me and said, hey, baseball chapel is on my shirt. He said, what's that mean? And I was like, I don't want to have a conversation right now. I'm trying to get (laughs) out of here. But he kept asking questions. I was like, well, stop. If you're going to say that you're representing Christ, then when he brings an opportunity about to do something, then do it. Yeah. So we, we ended up talking. I got to know Chad pretty well. Kevin Mitchell, he and I had some good faith-oriented discussions there in Cleveland. I went on to the Yankees and was part of some Bible studies and just great group of guys. So I, I think that I can look back and honestly say before God and man that I was a David-type person trying to represent my faith in that environment. And I think that I was positive. I was But then you get to a point in your life where you just make some horrible choices and uh, suffer the consequence of them. And now I think that some people want to just say, no, if he could make those kind of choices, he must have been phony back then. Mm. Are we doing that with David? Yeah. Like, yeah, he was. Who was he when he when he slayed Goliath? Right. Like, uh, yeah. We're not broad brushing his whole life because he made this Bathsheba decision. And the Uriah decision, we're not broad brushing at all and saying he must have been horrible back then. And he certainly has nothing to add for value in the future. And I get it. I get it. Some people are going to have that opinion. I have to choose to move forward, not listening to that group of people and just say, hey, if God has opportunity for me to use my baseball past, my failure, my prison experience, and my effort to move forward and restored and restoration, restore ministries. If he wants to use me moving forward and being displaying my own restoration and being a part of other people's restoration, then I'm not going to let the naysayers cause me to build a cabin in the woods and just gauge from life. So, right. Okay. Well, a lot of folks coming back, coming back from things. I mean, it's one of the things in the rearview mirror. I mean, there's a lot of regrets that anyone I know in their 50s have. I mean, we just regret things. I mean, like, I wish I'd have done this different. Like I've, I've hurt people in my past, right? I don't think that was my intent at the time, but it doesn't matter what my intent was. It, it happened and I'm responsible for it. And that regret is a pain that stays with me. And it's like no other pain, right? It's chronic because it never goes like you and I have trained pretty hard in our lives. Like we had some pain along the way. And I'm thinking like, man, two days it was out. You're sore and, and it's over. Acute pain. That's that's very short term. And the, we always say the pain of discipline is acute and the, the pain of regret is chronic. When you look back, people are going to say like, man, you keep overcoming these things. You're such an overachiever, Chad. Like you've really overachieved more than you. What's your, what's your position on that? Yeah, interesting. You know, so years ago, I said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to call it overachiever question mark. And the reason I, as a coming up through the minor leagues and and someday I'll chronicle my story of all these different little obstacles that had to be overcome and 
some of the people who helped me and, and some of the determination that I went through. But so Joe Madden, I think it was that he was the one that said, yeah, he's kind of your classic overachiever. And right when he said it, I was kind of like, wait a second. So what he's saying is he, he thinks maybe I really wasn't that good. I just achieved beyond what my means were. So I started pondering that that whole concept of overachiever. And I developed kind of a philosophy that I do not believe in overachievers. And my concept is this. If I brought out a, a cup and it was a 12-ounce cup, that 12-ounce cup can hold 12 ounces of liquid, no more, but it can hold less. So I believe that we've each been given a level of potential that we can either get all the way up to and maximize, or we can live at different levels of not reaching our potential. So those would be underachievers. You can't, just like a cup can't achieve more than 12 ounces, I can't achieve more than what my giftedness, my abilities, and my opportunities are going to afford. But I can do less. So in my life, I wanted to take all those opportunities, all those, whatever gifts I do have, whatever talent I do have, whatever size I do have, whatever work I can put into it, and whatever opportunities come out of that, I want to make the most of those. So instead of seeing that, as overachieving, I see that as coming closer to reaching full potential. So that that's something that was on just kind of on my mind years ago. I was like, yeah, I don't really believe in that whole overachiever <laughs> thing. I believe that every single human either gets really, really close to their peak potential or they're actually underachieving, hmm. which, which motivates me to say, let's keep going because I, I might have some more to give. Well, yeah, and I don't know how many times someone's pushed me into another level that I didn't know I could do, right? And yeah. it's always, it's very rarely is it comfortable, by the way. And yet you find out like, hey, there's more in the tank. So I love that, Chad. So I'm here, so thankful today on the Winners Find a Way show with Chad Curtis, author of In My Heart and On My Lips. And, and as he works through a newfound prison ministry called Restore Ministries, Super excited about the future for you, Chad. To finish up, if you could tell people one thing that they are looking to, to get things back. There's a lot of people hurting right now. I mean, economy, all these things. What's one thing if someone's facing adversity right now that you'd offer to tell them, hey, this can get you background? My story back way back in prison, going forward, all of it, it's a faith-based story. And I, I had somebody recently, he said, well, how do you, how do you it's real? I said, that's what faith, faith is confidence in the things hoped for assurance about the things not seen. I absolutely completely believe that God has good plans in store for us. Um, and I also believe that we have a path to walk faithfully towards that good plan. It, I, I memorized a verse actually with my daughter who's now 12. And it's God said, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you. Make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So I think that in that verse is like God of all grace, He called you. You're gonna suffer for a little bit, but I am going to restore you. So is it is it something that Chad needs to push forward? And, and again, that's my football mentality. My football yeah. mentality is I'm gonna get this done. I'm gonna get this I'll done. Fix it. Yeah. I think that God does want me to do things moving forward, but he wants me to recognize that it's him. He's the one that will truly bring restoration. So whatever that is, whatever that struggle is. I want to make sure I'm walking the right path and I want to put myself in position for him to say, that's the guy right there that I want to bring restoration to. That's the guy that I want to bring blessing to. All right, Chad Curtis on the Winners Find a Way show. Join us 
every Friday, 1230 Eastern, 930 AM Pacific, live on the YouTube channel, Leadership of the YouTube channel, and live and Facebook Live. Thank you so much for being with us, Chad. Thanks so much, buddy. Until next time, see you then. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.